Hi, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome to our podcast, Books and Beyond. So, on this episode, we spoke to Amrita Mahale, who is the author of Milk Teeth. It's a book that's set in Bombay, and it is a love triangle between three characters: Ira, Kez, and Karthik. And who doesn't love love triangles, right? So, we asked her so many questions, and one among them was whether there's any autobiographical element to Ira and Kez's relationship. And you'll be really surprised with her reply. So Amrita is brilliant. I mean, I'm always fascinated with people who can do both math and English because I can't. Same here. And you know she is trained as a rocket scientist not once but twice. And she has a full-time job and writes on the weekend. So on this episode we actually find out you know how does she manage her time yeah like how does she do so much you know and we also found out about what she's working on next which is very interesting because it has something to do with stalking so you're <laughs> going to want to find out so as a writer myself Tara I found her resilience really amazing like you know she has been through so many rejections and she almost abandoned milk teeth so we spoke about that and more on this episode so tune in Welcome to our podcast Books and Beyond and we are going to be talking to the amazing Amrita Mahale who has written this wonderful literary novel Milk Teeth and she's also trained as an aerospace engineer welcome Amrita thank you so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book i was trained as an aerospace engineer that's correct not just once but twice over i have two degrees uh, in rocket science <laughs> but i haven't done much with those i went into the technology world right after grad school and after 10 years of working in product strategy operations roles i decided to take a break and write my novel so milk teeth is the result of four years of hard work milk teeth follows two friends ira and karthik growing up in the matunga neighborhood of of bombay over the 70s 80s and 90s and through their stories it tells the story of a changing city a changing country and a changing middle class in that period so how did this idea for the story come to you oh it's very hard to say now it started i think it had many different beginnings there's a, there's one version of the history of the novel in which it started as a as a tribute to a suitable boy Um, oh really yeah so i was in love with that novel in college and one of the subplots uh, lata and kabir really stayed with me and uh, have you Kez, read the book tara i haven't read it no <laughs> it's a thousand I. pages i know that's why <laughs> yeah and i think there's now a competition between vikram seth and grr martin as to whose book will come out first vikram oh. seth was supposed to write the sequel to a suitable boy called a suitable girl and it was supposed to come out in 2012 or 13 okay but uh, it didn't any year now that's what i hope yeah so it's just like the sixth book of the game of thrones series no one knows when it's going to be out yeah so kez uh, from the novel shares his initials with kabir durani from suitable boy and uh, there is a love triangle at the heart of a suitable boy where lata has to choose between her heart which is kabir and a more suitable match uh, so in a way the central triangle of milk teeth is set up to mimic that triangle but uh, that's not how the story pans out at all and uh, i think i started writing milk teeth at a time when i was thinking a lot about the middle class and about all the pressures that compel people to live life in a certain way so this was very much on my mind and in fact i started writing milk teeth as a short story i mean the short story was terrible and very little of it has made its way to the final novel i'm sure you're too critical of your own work that i am that i am but it was a very flat story uh, but there was one line in the story that made its way to the novel and it actually really captures what i was trying to say back then 
So the line I think goes something like maybe prophecies are redundant because people live the same lives over and over again and we as a culture are so obsessed with knowing the future with fortune telling horoscopes astrology Absolutely yeah. uh, but at the same time we also want people to follow a certain script there's a very delicious irony in that so I wanted to explore that Yeah I like the way that you know your inspiration came from the books that you love and I also love that it's a love story because I love reading about love stories but I don't like reading like you know Mills and Boons I like reading literary fiction so how did you go about creating a literary love story So I started writing the book with Ira and Kez's uh, parts so for those of you who haven't read the book the novel has three sections the first section is called Ira and Karthik and they are childhood friends who reconnect after almost a decade apart and they're both adults and that part of the novel goes into the history of their friendship as well as how they go about rekindling their friendship as adults so the seesaw of their friendship really is at the heart of the novel the second part of the novel actually goes back in time and it's called just era because it traces era's relationship with kes and that's the love story that uh, that tara just uh, talked about and the third part is called kartik and it's told from kartik's point of view so i actually started writing the novel with the middle section oh, so it was not it was not <laughs> written linearly and i think that's the part of the novel that flowed very organically is does it have any autobiographical element no 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 actually <laughs> <laughs> i think every good character has to come from a place of a deep feeling and that's true and it's a combination of observation and imagination so yes i mean even kes and his relationship with ira has some elements that i have drawn from real life but uh, a large part of him and the relationship is is imaginary <laughs> but you know i feel like it's um, i mean i'm very happy that people have loved the novel and they've loved ira and kes's relationship but i feel like a lot of reviewers have also just focused on that part of the novel and called it a romance and i wonder if a male writer had written the same novel they would have called it a romance first and then like focused on the other themes yeah and do you have a problem with it being called no romance? no no not really i think if you call it a romance and then also talk about the other themes that the novel brings up i'm completely okay with it because the love story is really at the heart of the novel it's just a part of the novel and if that's all that you take away then i wonder if it's a slightly gendered reading of the book so for example one of my favorite vikram seth novels is an equal music and even that is very much a love story set in the world of music and nobody i think called it a romance it was called a meditation on art and music and loss and love and longing in the world is just not fair <laughs> yeah exactly but it's a fantastic novel i would urge everybody to read it not milk teeth and equal music <laughs> and milk teeth too yeah. and one of our favorite characters in the book was kartik mm-hmm. uh, so how did you think of creating a character amrita yeah uh, so the uh history of kartik or at least the genesis of kartik is very uh, close to my own life my own heart uh my brother is gay and he came out to me many many years ago uh before 377 was struck down and i was very nervous for what it would mean for him to be out as a gay man in a country where uh, homosexuality was a criminal act so i urged him not to tell people to remain in the closet for as long as possible it's terrible advice and i'm you're very, being protective yeah i was being protective and i'm very glad he did not uh, take my advice he did come out to my parents and he in fact came out fairly publicly on humans of bombay oh wow wow yeah, yeah. this was many years ago 
and uh, not only was my family very supportive but he got a lot of support and love from from strangers as well so interestingly he's opposite uh, to the character kartik in the book yes exactly that's the part i was coming to and then i reflected for a long time on why i gave my brother that advice i think i was putting myself in his shoes i am someone who's very risk averse who's generally conservative in her approach to life and i care a lot more about what people think of me so i think this There's um, more of you in Karthik. <laughs> there's more of me in Karthik exactly. So I think Karthik somehow came out of this question what would I have done had I been in my brother's place? And Karthik's struggle is actually even worse because this is in the 90s. So it's a different era altogether. It's brutal. Yeah, so that's what I really wanted to understand. Like how would a risk averse conservative, I mean conservative in not in the political sense, but uh, conservative in his approach to life. So how would a conservative risk averse uh, gay man live his life in the 90s? And what was your brother's reaction to the character? He loved the novel. He found uh, Karthik very whiny, uh, but he he loved <laughs> reading the novel. I think he liked Pinkesh's character more. Oh, <laughs> Pinkesh is the love interest. Yes, no, not love interest exactly. Former love interest. Former love and, interest. Uh, yes. Yeah, I won't give away uh, too much about uh, Pinkesh's profession because it's a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> but yeah, Pinkesh is a friend of Karthik's, whose uh, whose personality is very different. and uh, he i think uh, enlivens the proceedings a little bit in the last third of the book so your brother is also a writer we read that somewhere so uh, what is the writer reader relationship between the two of you no we don't show each other our work at all no oh, why is that because our styles are very different my brother is a humor writer and uh, he doesn't agonize over his writing as much as i do i think i spent 4 years writing milk teeth He also has a book coming out uh, later this year. Oh, what is that called? What is that about? I don't know if I'm allowed to give away the title. <laughs> Please but I'll tell you. It's called Get Out: The oh. Gay Man's Guide to Coming Out and Going Out. That's amazing. Wow. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful title. So the book's coming out later this year. And I think he wrote it in six months or eight months. Really? <laughs> and just the thought of wrapping up and wrapping. It's not a novel. It's a memoir slash. Right. dating Still, guide that's yeah reminds me of vivek tejuja's book growing up gay in india yeah and vivek and anirudh know each other so i think they talk and they exchange notes from time to time but even the thought of wrapping up a book in 6 months uh, i think gives me anxiety yeah, i think you both had like completely opposite personality types yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. but we both enjoy each other's like finished works but i don't think we'll be great at giving inputs along the way to each other And we also heard Amrita that you almost abandoned your manuscript. So what was that story that convinced you to write the book? To keep writing the book you mean? And why did you abandon it? So about 2 years ago, I had a draft of the novel that I thought was good enough to send out into the world. So I started reaching out to agents because conventional wisdom states that first time writers find an agent, the agent then finds a publisher for you. But that was not to be. So I sent the novel to about 13 uh, no 16 uh, agents Indian and international 13 of them wrote back and all 13 rejected me Oh so what very good what things. did you feel like when you when Oh I felt like absolute shit it was horrible in fact I think it was Valentine's Day 2018 when I received three rejections in the span of 3 hours 
And one of them was really brutal. I think the agent just forwarded me his editor's comments. And uh, they, uh, the editor had said that the novel falls flat on its face. It's pedestrian. The writing is ordinary. No, no, no. I mean, to be fair, they were all very, very kind towards the writing. They said that the characterization is very strong. The writing is beautiful. But the plot isn't coming together. So yeah, but this is very, very harsh feedback nonetheless. And you don't tend to see the good parts. You dwell on the negative parts. But in a way, I feel it does help you because there are a lot of agents who do not give you feedback also. Yeah, and I was very lucky that agents actually engaged with me. Many of them... They don't respond. They don't respond at all. So in my case, they wrote back, they asked for the full manuscript on the basis of the first two chapters and they gave me feedback. And I think I'm very grateful to them now because the final draft of the novel incorporates a lot of this feedback. Oh, that's amazing. And I think it's it's a much better novel uh, as a result. So, but then what convinced you to take it up again? So that's why you abandoned it. Yeah, yeah. So I was close to abandoning it. I abandoned it for exactly three days, I think. Oh, that's not (laughs) bad. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. But because I had done a writing residency at uh, Sangam House. Yeah, we read about it. I was connected to some writers and editors. So I reached out to a friend from Sangam House who was the season coordinator, the organizer there. He's an editor. His name is Rahul Soni. And he's a fantastic editor. In fact, he's edited some of the best books from last year, Farfield, Girl in White Cotton. And uh, and many others. We so love Girl in White yeah. Cotton. Yeah, yeah, yeah same here. It's and Farfield a... has been like garnering so many good reviews. Yeah, awards. yeah. So they're both great books. Uh, so Rahul, uh, I reached out to him and I told him, hey, listen, this book isn't going anywhere. I think I should just abandon it. And he said, calm down, send me the manuscript. I will read it and I'll let you know. If I think it isn't working, I'll give you my honest opinion. So I had to wait for two weeks to hear back from him after this. God, full of anxiety. Full of anxiety. And he loved the book. And he also acknowledged that there were parts that had to be rearranged, rewritten. But I think he thought there was enough potential there. So that gave me the confidence to start reaching out to publishers directly. And with a plan for what I would fix. Yeah, so it's interesting how, you know, writing is actually a solitary process, but you have to engage with someone else to find out if the writing is working. So, you know, we love how you engage with so many readers, Amrita. So, you know, how is it? How has the experience been? Like, does it, you know, encroach on your writing space? Yes, it does. The short answer is yes, it does. But I really enjoy it. Why, I, do, why do you enjoy it? No one tells you how much time book promotions actually take up. It's a lot of work. And I think now because of social media, it's very easy for readers to reach out to writers directly. And yeah, so uh, I heard about your book on Instagram, actually. It was all over Bookstagram, you know. Yeah, And yeah. I actually picked up your book at the airport. And I didn't know anything about your book. I didn't know anything about you. And I think it was around last year. I just found it in the airport, uh, picked it up, read it and loved it. And that's when I started following you. You know, I didn't even know that people still bought books that way. <laughs> <laughs> I no, but that's always the best way to discover a book, I feel. Yeah, yeah with no expectations and uh, you're not prepared for what you get, right? But yeah, Bookstagram, I think, was a big part of was a big contributor to the book's success and the main reason why I love interacting with readers is I put myself in their shoes and I mean now I have access to more writers than I did 10 years ago but uh, but I think always a reader's perspective will be far different from what a writer tells you and even a critic's perspective would be different from a reader's perspective yeah I mean I I don't think any readers have actually come up to me and said this is what we did not like about your book so what did they love about your book positive so many different things and sometimes readers manage to make connections that 
even I haven't made. But the main reason why I love doing book promotions, I love interacting with readers, is it's an opportunity to not let go of your baby. You work so hard <laughs> on a book, yeah. and uh, you know I still haven't been able to read Milk Teeth uh, for more than ten, fifteen pages at a time, because I the editor in me <laughs> wakes up each time this happens, and I want to change the book. Yeah, I think that's natural. Yeah, yeah but I can't. So the <laughs> book is frozen. But talking about the book and talking about the things that I'd left unsaid that I now wish I had added, interacting with readers gives me an opportunity to do that and not let go of the book. But uh, does it interfere with your writing of your second book? So we just read that you're working on your second book, and if you're still, you know, engaging with your first book in a way, how does it affect, you know, your writing of your second book? No, it doesn't. I think I need to wrap up uh, all my promotions <laughs> in in a month or so. But it's such a treat for readers, you know, to interact with the author of the book that they love. Yeah, that's the hard part because I, like I said, I put myself in their shoes, and especially if I had no connections to the writing world. And I could have an opportunity to interact with a writer I admire or someone That's who's written <laughs> who's written a book that I love. For example, I was a big fan of Arundhati Roy as a teenager. I was 13 when God of Small Things came out, and I read it I think a month or two after. And I loved the book. I did not know that it was also one of the first novels for adults that I read. I think I was still in the Hardy the, Boys, yeah. Nancy Drew phase and then suddenly I read We all this. have that transition yeah, novel yeah, yeah. into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when you decided you wanted to be a writer. Yeah, right? that's right. That's when I decided I wanted to be a writer. This is very embarrassing to admit now, but when I was 13, I put together this list of things that I really wanted <laughs> from life and one of those was Arundhati Roy's pen. And, oh. uh, you know, I've only met her so once. So cute. Yeah. Actually, I haven't even met her. I heard her uh, speak in San Francisco and I look forward to meeting her and stealing a pen from her. (laughs) 13-year-old me uh, would be very happy. So coming back to, you know, I wanted to speak a bit more about your profession. So you train as an aerospace engineer and then also you're a writer. So I'm really fascinated by people who are good at both math and English. Same here. (laughs) How do you do both? What's your writing routine like? I have a full-time job now. I think I was writing full-time for about half the time it took me to write and edit Milk Tea. But it's very different now. After I turned in my final manuscript, I started a full-time job. It's very different from the world of writing. I work at a non-profit research lab that... Uh, does artificial intelligence for social good. Um, I'm struggling to <laughs> yeah. even wrap my head around that. You lost that. me already. <laughs> yeah, it's not as uh, sci-fi as it sounds. But it's it's incredibly fun and it's so different from the world of literature, at least the kind of books that I write. It's been difficult. So I, I mean, the only thing I can do is carve out time for my writing. That's usually weekends. And protect this time fiercely. And uh, why is that your writing is quite different from it? Have you thought of writing a sci-fi novel anytime? No, I haven't. I don't read much sci-fi. So it's very hard for me to imagine myself writing science fiction. But maybe in five years' time, who knows? <laughs> so, but what, like, I wanted to know, you know, how many hours a day do you write on the weekend? And do you have, like, any measures for your productivity? Yeah, that's the only way to go, really. In fact, after I quit my job, I used to write on weekends before that. 
and uh, once i started writing full time i think for the first month and a half i managed to write maybe a thousand words and i remember thinking what if i only have enough words in me to write on weekends it's scary <laughs> it's scary but you know that's never the case writing is really more about grit and persistence and patience than anything else absolutely and this is how writing your second book is different from writing your first you know that it's not really about inspiration it's about hard work So if I know that I need to write on Saturdays or Sundays I know that if I haven't managed to write much after half an hour or one hour it's not because it's not a good day it's because I'm distracted so I need to turn the wifi off turn my phone off and just keep sitting and now with so many distractions it's very tough Yeah absolutely and I think my attention span keeps getting shorter Day and also, day. how do you manage? I mean, just in terms of saturation, because I'm sure you know you're tired from your day job, and then you know you carve out time on the weekends to write. So, how do you do it? It doesn't always happen very successfully. It's a struggle, but I haven't really managed to write over the week. So at Sangam House, I met the writer Vivek Shanbhav, and he I love mentioned, yeah, Sangam House is so good, so good, yeah. But he mentioned that he wrote seven or eight books while working full time. He apparently has a morning routine. Yeah, wakes up early before work. Or he used to wake up at four thirty every morning, and uh, write for three hours before he went to work. And in fact, he only became a full time writer after Gajendra Gupta was translated into English. I don't have that kind of focus or discipline, <laughs> so it is theoretically possible, but I haven't figured out. So, what is your second book about? It's very different from Milk Teeth. I don't know what it'll end up becoming. It's still in that stage where. it's just like lots of fragments coming together slowly but the central idea is it follows the disappearance of a young woman in the hills and the story is told from three points of view uh the first part is told by her best friend who's dealing with the guilt of having played a small role in her disappearance the second part is told by a stalker who had a lot to do with her disappearance <laughs> we want to read it right yeah. now <laughs> and the third part is by the victim herself So wow. it's three voices, three stories, overlapping and also contradicting. So yeah, let's see what it becomes. So how do you get into the heads of all these different characters? I mean, they're so different from each other. I'm not looking forward to writing the part with the stalker. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be a pleasant experience. This is not an easy book to write. It's uh, emotionally fairly draining. or that's what i tell myself because i haven't managed to make much progress but yeah i've written about 18000 words so far this won't be as long as milk teeth i wanted to be maybe 250 pages which is what 75000 words so still a long way to go so talking about a stalker actually tara and i were just talking about this uh, series called you on mm-hmm. netflix it's about a stalker and it's actually based on a book so maybe you can check it out I have seen it's the really first season. I haven't watched the second season <laughs> and yet. And is the book literary? I mean, does it fall into that genre? Yeah, I think so. It's not a thriller. Okay. Uh, but it's not. Uh, Maybe more mystery. Slightly, yeah, exactly. Suspense. There is some mystery. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> Same here. Also talking about three points of view, it reminded me of Mill Teeth, which actually is structured with three sections. So, how did you decide on the structure? Yeah, I know. I think I tend to think in threes. Uh, how did I think of the structure? No, this was not the version that I sent to agents. It had seven different parts. Oh, really? <laughs> and the story jumped back and forth a lot. In fact, when I met my publisher Karthika, uh, the reason I signed up with her immediately was because this was her idea. She wow. said, uh, 
such a savior she the story jumps back and forth a lot but if you really think about it what's happening in the story is that in the first part you get to meet ira and kartik you get to explore the history of their friendship then kartik recedes to the background and you get to learn more about ira and then ira recedes and uh, you get to learn uh, you get to know kartik and I what say, brilliant yes, advice yes <laughs> That's exactly what I needed, and I think that's what really transformed the book. So then, you know, once you the book was signed on and you took her feedback, how long did it take you to re redo it in this way? No, not too long. About three months. Yeah, April, May, June. Yeah, about three months. That's great. And uh, we wanted to know, you know, did you read any interesting fiction while you were researching and writing Milk Teeth? Oh, a lot, a lot of fiction and non-fiction. So the book. spans the 70s 80s and 90s i was alive for only about half of that period so obviously i had to do a lot of research i interviewed 25 to 30 people some long time matunga residents civic bee journalists gay activists and just a bunch of uh, other people who had uh, bombay connections i spent a lot of time going through press archives and i read a lot of books both fiction and non fiction i think a lot of the fiction that i read with an eye on research was about queer bombay in the 90s and so what uh, were the books that you read on the fiction side there was r raj rao's uh, the boyfriend which i really enjoyed check it yeah, out I'm not yeah not heard of it there was also funny boy uh, by a sri lankan writer and uh, what else no i think these were the two novels so how I, did you discover these books like just google or google and through friends so uh, a lot of the queer literature that i found poetry fiction non fiction was through the poet akhil katyal oh wow and yeah he in fact gave me a book of poetry by hoshang merchant Do who talks about yeah, yeah. who talks about queer bombay and the epigraph uh, to my novel so the poem at the beginning of the novel actually comes from the book of poetry that uh, akhil introduced me to oh that's, that's amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah We love his poetry, and it yeah. must have been so much fun to you know read all of this literature and immerse yourself in a new world. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think uh, there were many points in the course of writing this book when I thought I could have actually just compiled what I had and done a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> That shows that your research was thorough. That's yeah, yeah. My research was thorough. My first draft was a hundred and ten thousand words long, and the final draft was about ninety. So I had to cut out almost twenty percent of the book. How did and you decide what to keep and what to cut? It's really hard. I think editors call it killing your darlings, <laughs> but the only way to do it is to put some distance between yourself and your work. So Milk Teeth was written over four drafts, and I made it a point to take a break of a month or two between drafts, uh, just to be able to look at. That's wise. Yeah, to be able to look at the manuscript with fresh eyes. And But is it always possible to look at your your own manuscript with I fresh don't eyes? So. No, not with completely fresh eyes. Like I said, if I open the book now, I will find a hundred faults. Do you feel that way too about your writing? Yeah, I always feel that if there's a gap between the drafts and you know when you revisit your work, it always helps. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, Zadie Smith has this wonderful essay. It was delivered um, as a talk. It. Columbia if i'm not mistaken and is also in changing my mind her book of essays and she talks about like many different approaches to writing and editing and one piece of advice she gives is put away your manuscript for 2 years if you can i think 2 years is a bit extreme <laughs> <Two years>. wow <laughs> not yeah she said if you have the means put it away for as long as you can i, I like even remember years, uh but 6 months is also fine mm-hmm. uh, but i think i the first draft i put it aside for 2 months 
not bad. Yeah, two two years was unimaginable. And since you did so much research for the book that didn't make it to the book, we would love to know any interesting anecdote that you know that you discovered during your research. Yeah, so the book is set in Matunga, and the history of Matunga is really interesting. Now it's a part of the main city because the suburbs technically begin at Bandra, but Matunga came up. in the beginning of the 20th century so around the 1920s and it was the first planned suburb planned by the british as a response to an outbreak of plague that broke out in the city around the turn of the 19th century and they decided that this was because of unsanitary conditions in large parts of south bombay so they like took up agrarian land in matunga and decided to convert it into a suburb oh we and, didn't know that yeah it's actually really really interesting and this was the first place where apartment buildings became the norm that wasn't always the case before really yeah oh. and i think all of us associate middle class life with apartments and uh, i think that's what makes matunga so distinctly that's uh, very fascinating class. but what was really interesting to me was that uh, most houses before the rise of apartment buildings had their toilets outside the main house because uh, there was a general widespread belief that you could not have a toilet in the same place where you cooked your food even though they were two different rooms so yeah in matunga it was very hard for many of the inhabitants especially the brahmins to come to terms with having uh, the bathroom and the kitchen in the same dwelling that's so modern living yeah yeah so it was the beginning of modernity in many ways and uh, the first draft of milk teeth actually had a chapter on each of the parents told from their point of view that's so oh, interesting yeah really? i mean so like that you know i had to do away with fans of your book i mean i'm sure they would love to know and read all this other material and i always think about fans of you know other books as well yeah, because absolutely. the author has so much yeah. material that they don't share maybe yeah. you can release it in like you know and why don't they share it bonus yeah, yeah maybe as a chapters. short story right? yeah. because there was a really lovely chapter in there about ira's mother who's just come to bombay as a new bride and uh, she's been like taken away from her study days she was and this is a fact that's mentioned in the book as well that she was a few months away from taking her final exams so she just like lays in bed all day with her textbooks under the bed in this green trunk and to distract herself she thinks about the fact that the bathroom is in the house <laughs> and uh, how her parents would react if they ever came to visit oh wow we would love yeah. to read yeah. that we yeah. hope you can so, share those chapters yeah so it was not a chapter in which much happens but then you get to really like know this woman her as a background person. yeah it makes you think i mean there's a whole world that writers like you create that and we just get a little glimpse of it exactly. yeah absolutely i mean it, what's in the book is just the tip of the iceberg right in my head it's a much richer uh, like more deeply imagined world but to be honest i don't think writers need uh, readers need to know all of it So uh you know we also find it fascinating Amrita that you know your day job deals with a very objective nature of things and whereas writing is very subjective so what do you think about lit prizes like your book has been shortlisted for a number of awards so how do you think that you know people can decide what is a good book hmm that's a that's a hard one <laughs> and uh, writing i still maintain that writing is uh, or the quality of writing it's it's a very subjective judgment but at the same time i think there is a distinction between good writing and bad writing it's very hard to tell like <laughs> you know when you see it so for me the kind of writing i enjoy offers a mix of some cultural commentary and some psychological insight and i care about language i care about well written sentences 
but it's, it's not, such a it's pleasure not a to read formula. a well written book yeah <laughs> it's not a formula but at the same time like how much you like a book and which parts of it you respond to that's very subjective yeah that's right. very subjective i think that's a reflection of you so which was the last like well written book that you loved I really like Bombay Balchao. We we love that too. We interviewed Jane. Yeah, Yeah. I read it a few months ago, and I've read a lot of good books since then. But uh, Bombay Balchao really stayed with me. And also another Bombay novel. Another Bombay novel, completely different. And the book has so much heart. It's uh, so tender and moving, and so joyful. Yeah, we loved it. Yeah, I really liked it. And I've been uh, I've been talking about the book to everyone I meet. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Um, so, yeah, we were also wondering, you know, Ira, the protagonist, she is a journalist. So what made you decide on her profession? When I started writing the novel, I knew that one of the themes I wanted to explore was how cities and its citizens shape each other. And I wanted to look at the built environment of a city. So the buildings, the streets, the public places. And I wanted to see what a changing built environment says about the culture, the history and the identity of a place. So it made sense to have a protagonist who had a job that let her engage with the city in that way. I also love the idea of a woman just walking around a city and making sense of the city by actually really interacting with it. And it's usually just men uh, who play flanners, right? Who walk around cities and hold forth. So I wanted a woman to do that. And so you civic be journalist seemed perfect. Yeah, and you seem to enjoy this part of research. So did you ever want to be a journalist? No, 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 I did not. <laughs> but I remember when I was in... Uh, College, I was a volunteer for IIT Bombay's uh, student festival, Mood Indigo. So I was in the media team. So I would have to go to the Times of India office and the Indian Express office. And I, I just loved the sight of so many people writing. So I think I always wanted to be a fiction writer. But there was a lot of respect for the written word. So I was fascinated by journalism. And why the interest in cities? I don't know. I just love cities. <laughs> I love that they are these dense collections of people where uh, you can blend into a crowd and at the same time because of the crowd like magical things happen because your probability of meeting interesting people is much higher. So you know uh, we were wondering what do you do when you encounter writer's block how do you get out of it? Oh like I said in uh, writer's block in most cases is not a real thing it's just you being lazy (laughs) and you just have to keep writing. But of course, sometimes uh, writer's block comes from not knowing what you want to say. So that that happens to to me. Yeah. So there needs to be some reflection, some preparation. But most times you just have to sit down and write. That's all. And what do you do when it gets too much? Do you have other hobbies? Like, you know, what do you do to unwind? I read a lot. And I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of (laughs) Netflix (laughs) and Amazon. Unfortunately. Yeah. Autoplay. It's the worst thing. And do you Hmm. think that, um, you know, you're going to keep writing? I mean, after the second book, is it going to be third, fourth, fifth? How do you foresee it? I hope so. I think I have a lot to say. The best thing about writing is that it gives you an opportunity to really spend time with yourself and your thoughts. And it helps you make sense of the world. So the books I write, I mean, I've written just one so far. But I hope to use books to make sense of the world. That's what we do too. Make sense of what's going on in my own life, in my own head. So Amrita, what was your childhood like? And did you always have like writing, reading around you? Yes, absolutely. I was born in Bombay, but I grew up in Gujarat. 
which is uh, which is funny considering that i've written a bombay novel now i moved every 2 or 3 years my father worked for a bank and uh, that meant that there was a change of scenery a change of friends every few years i started reading when i was 5 years old i grew up in a house with a lot of books so reading was a very big part of my childhood and i think because we moved every couple of years i also i wouldn't say that i was a lonely child not at all but i was also very comfortable with my own company i was always a bit of an outsider looking in and all of these are i think like great preparation for being a writer very true <laughs> build your personality yes yeah. uh, so amrita your book reached far more people than you know literary fiction usually does so what did you actually do to you know market your book publicize your book as a debut writer so the book came into the world very quietly there was no advance praise and there are no blurbs by famous writers on the cover of the hard cover the book's out in paperback now and the cover is absolutely beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. so my publisher takes full credit for that and saurabh garge is the illustrator who's designed the cover it's just beautiful But yeah, so the book had a very uh, quiet release. Yeah, and blogs have a very important role, but yours didn't, and it made you know made it yeah. so big. And the first review came out after a month. The second review, I think, took two months. Wow, it was slow. At it the was beginning. very slow, and it was all social media and Instagram. I think Bookstagram and word of mouth helped. actually. Yeah, and word of mouth. So it was only after people started talking about it on Instagram, on Goodreads, on Amazon, that uh, mainstream media began to take notice. So there was I think like I think in the first 3 4 months there were two or three reviews and then suddenly more reviews started coming out. And it's great that you know so many more people are reading literary fiction maybe because of this book. It's Yeah great. and I always knew I wanted to write a book that was accessible. Yeah. And that was a smooth read. So I think that's helped the book. So how did you ensure that it's accessible? Like what according to you is an accessible book? I didn't set out to consciously make the book accessible. but i think there's something inherently uh, very accessible about this book because it covers a world a period that's something that a lot of people can very easily relate to i think i've spoken about this before there was something common to childhoods in the 70s 80s and 90s pre liberalization really and for someone born in the late 90s probably like the two of you only <laughs> uh, uh, i was not in 1990 yeah, 91 <laughs> okay all right then maybe you know a little bit of what i'm talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. so for someone born later in the 90s i'm sure their childhood experiences were very different yeah totally yeah. <laughs> they are the gadget generation yeah and mm. that's why a lot of people have focused on the nostalgia element of the book but i don't i don't really think that my objective was to write a nostalgic book i did want to look at ordinary life i wanted to look at everyday bombay but i wanted to look at it with a sharp eye for what lies under the surface of the sweetness like dissecting it yeah exactly So Amrita since your second book sounds really interesting and really different are you reading books similar to that to give you an idea of how to you know cover good mystery or good suspense not yet but uh, I think I will have to soon so I've taken on the easiest part first I'm telling the story of friendship over two or three decades so that's very familiar terrain to me but when I get to the part about the stalker I think I'll have to start doing research are you excited about that Yes and no. <laughs> I'm excited, but I'm also worried for my own mental health. 
But I mean, I'm sure you can do it. And this reminds me of, you know, how like we all are fascinated to know whether works are autobiographical. So, you know, writers who usually write about, you know, such stuff like stalking and murdering, they're saying, you really think I murdered someone? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, nobody's going to ask me if this one is autobiographical. Yes, exactly. So now we'll have a small rapid fire session. So engineering or writing? Writing. US or India? India. Stories or sums? That's a hard one. Both. Can I say both? (laughs) Safety or risk? I think uh, by instinct, safety. But I try to push myself towards risk. Your second book. What's your favorite writing place? Oh, my home. Or uh, sometimes Birdsong Cafe. If not writing, what would it be? Well, I am living so many <laughs> lives now. <laughs> I have a job. So yeah, maybe that technology. So if you were stuck on an island and you could take only one book with you, what would it be? Only one book. If it could be one series of books, then maybe Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels. We uh, love choice. her work. Yeah, yeah. good choice. If one book, then maybe Suitable Boy. It's a thousand oh, pages. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Amrita. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and thank you yeah. so much for having me. What a journey it's been, Michelle. 12 writers, so many interesting conversations and now ending the season with a writer whom we both admire, Amrita Mahale. It was great speaking to her. I love talking to Amrita and I can't wait to talk to even more writers, Tara. We're going to be doing that because our journey with you does not end here. We're going to come back for many more seasons where we're going to be interviewing more authors and storytellers across genres and we just can't wait. So please feel free to reach out to us and we can't wait to hear from you. We are on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Bound India. See you next time.